We have an amazing show today. We have on Rabbi Yeshua Lif, who is also my uncle, and a great Rosh Hashiva of a Yeshiva, Ner Yaakov, which had a very unique approach in how it dealt with his Talmidim. Rabbi Lif had much success in making many fine B'nai Torah and Torah scholars in the many years the yeshiva's uh, functioning. His success, in my, in my eyes, was built on his connection and Rabbi Lif's connection to Talmidei Chachamim. So we're going to talk about a little bit of Shabbos table talk. We're going to talk about Rabbi Lif's book. And Rabbi Lif drops some really amazing stories for us. My favorite was the story with Rabbi Shach and the dorm. So stay tuned for that. Hello all, this is Aaron Wogelinter, and I'm here with my co-host Rabbi Wogelinter, a.k.a. The Father. And this is Around the Shabbos Table. Around the Shabbos Table podcast was created to bring you our thoughtful conversations on a wide range of topics that a Jew encounters throughout his or her life. Our dream is to share some of our joy of being a Jew by breaking open some of these ideas and showing the beauty and the relevancy that are sometimes hidden behind them. Don't be fooled by the name. Shabbos was not desecrated in any way, shape, or form in the production of this show. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by the Intentional Jew Podcast Network. Go check it out. Check out Menachem Poznanski's podcast, Consciously. Check out David Cohn, his podcast, the Jewish Philanthropy Podcast, and so much more going on on the network. Subscribe to our newsletter at intentionaljew.com. Now, let's get around the Shabbos table. This episode is brought to you by PesachGourmet.com. Pesach Gourmet is kosher catering for Pesach to be delivered in Orlando for you and your entire family and to be FedExed anywhere in the U.S. Get ready for Pesach so that you have time to do things that are important, like listen to Around the Shabbos Table. Go and order right now, PesachGourmet.com, promo code IJPN200 for $200 off your order. That's PesachGourmet.com. A good vach. A good vach. A good vach. What a merdeka Shabbos after so uh, after so many months, really a year at this point, but just not having guests, not being in this zone. It's funny. I don't know if you noticed, but like my my Shabbos changed. You know, my kids got older, and like it's it's now putting guests back into my Shabbos. They were really out for a year, and we had to figure out and readjust to what is Shabbos without guests. We were. Similar to how you, your, your house is in Harnof and similar to our house, we always had guests, always. But to go a year without them made us change. And it was an awesome change, a great change. But it's just a, uh, it's fun to put guests back in. It's a fascinating, uh, fascinating experience. But, but it's exactly that. It's putting guests back into, you know, it became very much about the kids Friday night. We, it just they became the center focus. Mm-hmm. How are we going to put guests back into that? Because the kids had become so much of, um, of the center of things. And Baruch Hashem, it's, uh, it's really been a beautiful transition. So uh, on on the fly here, but I, I think it's an important thing for around the Shabbos table. Uncle Shui, you always had um, you always had boys, you always had girls, you always had people, guests, families, things. How did you keep your family? And I think a lot of our a lot of listeners, a lot of people come up with this that um, they want the tips, they want to hear. How did you keep your family engaged uh, in in the Shabbos Udas? Right. So first of all, I just want to wish everybody a Shavuot Tov and a Gutavach and to say to Aaron, my nephew, and my dear brother-in-law, Rabbi Jeff, 
as we like to call him Jeff, um, that it's been just a fantastic Shabbos. And as I mentioned, it's been so relaxed. And, you know, everything that you both mentioned about having guests, you know, for us to be able to come out here and to be, again, in the midst of the corona, to have the opportunity to be with family and to see how everyone is growing, uh, including my nephew and his family, as he said, you know, everyone's growing up. So, um, and part of it is this podcast, you know, which I'm now being thrust into to be part of this great, great um, avenue to be able to share thoughts, Torah thoughts and Ashkafa thoughts you know, to listeners throughout the world. And I really want to give a bracha that the podcast should be matzliach uh, and to uh, give a very, very uh, special message, unique message. So concerning your question about how we um, allowed guests and our family to somehow join together at a Shabbos table, I think it's like everything is really just creating a balance of, on one hand, recognizing that your family is foremost and guests are guests. And at the same time, I think that the fact that guests were able to come to their house, like Talmidim, you know, over the years, you know, my wife, Diane, you know, teaches Malas Chuva for many, many years. And it's one of the great things that I'm sure that my brother-in-law's, you know, had it for dozens and dozens of years out in California that, um, you know, people don't see what a natural family, a from family Shabbos table experience is all about. And just, you know, just seeing the kids and interacting and being at the table. And it doesn't mean the kids are perfect. It doesn't mean the kids are sitting Far there from always it, yeah. in the perfect situation. You know, there's crying and there's this and there's that. And sometimes there's a little fighting between the kids. But but they saw that there was a warmth and they saw that there was a message and there was Zmiris and there was the Torah and there was always delicious, delicious food, boy. And that's something that, you know, the Wogelanters and the Lifts share um, a problem with because we have to control ourselves <laughs> when it comes to all that delicious food that our wives, Baruch Hashem, want to, want to give because, you know, the Gemara says, And I think that's really what it's all about. The Shabbos table by us was really just giving, 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 giving. And I think everyone saw it. You know, the balance of having your children as they grow up and being able to somehow maintain that they should be a focus, you know, as far as you know, seeing what they've learned during the course of the week and trying to somehow share it, but not take away completely from the spotlight that the guests aren't part of it, but to somehow to integrate them into it. I think that's a balance that you learn. And um, I know that my own children, you know, we would have boys, we ran a you know, yeshiva for boys. And it's an interesting phenomenon, to go off on a tangent, but, you know, our girls were, um, were from girls, Okay, and there's a great story, which we shared together. Jeff, you don't even remember this, but this is like a great story because, um, you know, so the boys would come and even though we had daughters, but we never found it as an issue like that. There was any sort of like issue between um, the guys and the girls. Just wasn't it because, you know, either the guys were sitting at the house with the yeshiva. They're not going to necessarily start up with one of our daughters. But it, and, and, and our children were like that. You know, they were at the table and they knew the guys were the guys. But um, there, was a, there was a divider without it being a divider. This was a natural kind of concept. But there's a great story that took place with our youngest daughter, Ricky, when she was uh, going out with our wonderful, wonderful son-in-law, Nissim, 
Sharatanism. Sharatanism. And um, today he's a prominent Rav in Cleveland, Ohio, and they live there. And um, what happened was, Nisim had, a, had a, a relationship with one of the great boys in there, Yaakov, Aaron Gibson, who was a boy from La Jolla, California, and he came to Ner Yaakov to learn. And he was a star athlete, and he was part of the basketball team, uh, football team, which won the championship in that year. Ner Yaakov, the Cobras went all the way. And, uh, and, and that was part of the excitement of Ner Yaakov, was the football, the football team and everything else. And Nissim had gone on a seed program a couple of years beforehand and had befriended Aaron. And somehow he kept up that relationship when Aaron came. And he ended up, ended up um, tutoring him and learning with him. And he'd always show up at the football games. And, and that's how my wife saw this guy who was from the mirror. And he looked like a nice looking guy. And he was involved with this young, you know, we'd call him athletic California kind of kid. Now, now was, Dr. Gibson. Now Dr. Gibson. And Aaron, if you're listening, I hope that you're enjoying yourself listening to the story. <laughs> just and another think, Dr. But Gibson. But I just remember that you're telling me the story that what happened was, so Nissen was going out with daughter Ricky, and at a certain point, um, Nissen was going to propose to our daughter, and he decided to do what like, yeshiva guys like to do, which is like they like to pull people's legs. So he, he told Aaron to come meet him in a hotel in Yerushalayim, and he comes into the hotel and, you know, like typical guys, and he sees you know, Nissim there and he goes over, you know, they high five, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden he turns and he sees Nissim, there's a, there's a young lady there, you know, a nice attractive young lady from girl. And he says to Nissim, he says, Nissim, that's Rashiva's daughter. What are you doing? What's going on around here? She says, yeah, I'm, I just got engaged to her tonight. <laughs> tonight. <laughs> so... You know, that was, it just shows you really an expression of what it really was. It's really about the balance and making things wholesome and making things natural. And and I think that if you give over the message that the family is um, a focus and at the same time the, the guests are a focus and the Talmudim are a focus, and that's really what it's all about. I can go off on a tangent, another tangent, which I think we want to touch upon, which is, you know, this the my relationship with Gedolim, which is, the book behind here, which is not being promoted tonight at all. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll see it in the show notes. You'll see it everywhere. It's, it is being promoted. But yeah, I was able to put out a book uh, together with Nachman Zeltzer. Wrote the stories about my relationship with many, many gedolim. And there's a great story that I, I always say over that I heard from my my great Rashiva from the mirror of Benish Finkel, who was the father-in-law of the great Nassim Svi Finkel, there's a lot of names, for some of you might not be familiar with them, but he's really, really great, great people. And uh, Rav Benish, uh, interesting enough, first of all, he had seven daughters, all of them married Talmidim, American Talmidim from the Mir Yeshiva, who all great, great Talmidim Chamim, including the youngest one is a close friend of mine, Chavrus, old Chavrus, Rabbi Lapiansky. A lot of you might be familiar with him, the Yeshiva, Yeshiva Gdol of Silver's Ring. And, um, and Rav Benish once told me a story about the Chazanish, which gave me like a certain, it fleshed out a certain concept. It's a fantastic story that, you know, we think Hanoim started... Heint, you know, today, you know, Kanaim were always there. there were always people that were more religious and more vocal about religiosity. And in the days when the Chazanish was alive, the Chazanish passed away in the early 50s, but he was the leading Gadol and Torah personality in those days. 
and he basically formulated the vision of what the country looked like until today. The following of the Chazanish is really a tremendous, including his his nephew, great Reb Chaim, the Gadol Ador Reb Chaim Kanievsky Shlita. So a lot of it follows from what the Chazanish formulated. And the Chazanish was a brilliant Torah scholar, and he was a tremendous posik, and he was a tremendous leader, tremendous leader. He really shunted honor and covet. He didn't run a yeshiva. He didn't have a rabbanus. But everyone, including David Ben-Gurion, Prime Minister of Israel, all came to his doorsteps. That's how it shows what kind of greatness he had. Part of his greatness was in, again, what I like to call the balance of Judaism. And he, um, Reb Benish told me that there was an a, a orphanage in B'nai Brak for young girls, especially after the wars. So there was an orphanage. And in those days, they didn't have like air conditioning or anything else. And on Shabbos, the girls would sing Shabbos Samiris in their orphanage. Now, it was in the middle of B'nai Brak. It wasn't the B'nai Brak of today, but still, it was B'nai Brak. And uh, in the middle of the summer, you know, the girls' voices were being heard. So a few of the ultra-Orthodox at the time, they exclaimed, Kalisha! Kalisha! So they went to the Chazanish, who I think was considered the Nasi of the Yeshiva, and they told him, you know, this is a problem, what should we do about the problem? You know, the girls are singing, Kalisha. So the Chazanish turned to them, this is telling him, and he said, he turned to them and he said, I'll say it in Yiddish, and I'll translate it for all you non-Yiddish listeners. He says, Ein molavach as yisoymiz abin abisal hanna and to get zingin in ir vildas uphalten. One time a week, young orphans, girls, have a time that they can express themselves and sing and you want to stop them. He says, you close your windows but don't stop the girls and don't try to suffocate them that they shouldn't be able to have that. And that like, shows like the greatness of the, of the gedolim that they understood that you know you have to know when the halacha and how and where you apply it. So that's just one story that we'll just you know that we'll just send it out to everybody out there. You know, even just that story, just that you um, you were able to witness that, and I'm sure teaching your talmidim that kind of story as well is uh, is super important. The message there that yeah, there's a time and a place, and also. When, when halacha really, when there's like a, a closed door in essence, and oh, there's nothing else to do, then you have to become the zealot. And when there are other things, and sometimes we need to go to Gdol, and maybe we don't think like that. Close the door, close the window. This, Kalisha, we think like that. And and really, there's options. There's things out there, and that's why, that's why we speak to Gdol because they they have ideas that that we don't. That's an amazing uh, an amazing thought. You know, I think that. Um we're having a, a, a great conversation. We know who Uncle Shui is, but um, but I think that it's important that that, I, that our listeners, the people that are listening to this, understand who Rabbi Yeshua Lif is. And this is not a um, not not a not a hesped, nor um, even a, sure it's starting a, to sound like it. <laughs> nor, nor, nor is it is it a, is it a promotion? But it's not. It's it's important to understand where the where every single one of these stories comes from, or every single thought that we're going to hear tonight comes from from a person who was <coughs> was mechanach really a door and a half um, of uh, of people of of talmidim of students that came in. Um, everyone with a unique uh, a unique background and sort of you know a, a unique person 
and was on every one of them on their level, was able to elevate themselves and become become better people. Many, you know, it was Adam Lav Malka. It was just so shocking because the yeshiva had a certain, you know, a, a certain name. Flavor? Yeah, a certain <laughs> flavor. And, and when you walked into this room, it was a room of B'nai Torah, a room of... A room Torah of scholars. Serious, Torah yeah. scholars, people who have... Who were authors of of Svarim, who put out who put out Svarim. I mean, really serious Tamidei And then to you know, they showed a, a video, or whatever, of old pictures, and to see where these guys had started from, is really an incredible thing. And and there were, it wasn't because they just happened to have been in the yeshiva, and it wasn't just because they were taught Torah, but because they were um, they were educated, and they were directed, and they were infused with a with a love and infused with a. Um, with an excitement for Torah and for and for Judaism and for being and for being Jewish and being a ben Torah within that that framework, and um, and all of that came from came from you know, their amazing rabbeim and the yeshiva. But all those rabbeim really got their lifeline from Rabbi Lef, who who in every single aspect of the yeshiva, his personality and his his outlook and energy was infused in every single part of it, and and that's. That that was able to be to be mamid to raise real talmidim, not just you know not just people who say my alma mater is you know such and such a place, but really talmidim with a certain flavor from that place. So when we hear these stories and we hear all these thoughts, it's not just you know it's not just out there you know coming from a very interesting man, but it's actually part of an entire um, life's direction and a life focus. So I wanted to, I wanted to to hear more about that. And, and there's a particular thing that, that interests me that I, I've come across very often, people that try to disconnect themselves from, their, from the past and that we're in a modern world, we're living in, in a new time and we, have, and we have new things to focus on and, and focusing on the past and focusing on specifically on, on Europe and on the beginnings of, of American Jewry and Israeli Jewry, um, you know, of, to- of, of replanting Torah on, uh, on these shores and, and, and in American arts as well. And there's there is um, an attitude out there, which is not for tonight, and I don't really doesn't really matter. But there is an attitude out there of trying to disconnect from that. And in the world that Rabbi Liff operates in, the world that we live in, is a world that is that venerates its past, and that and that we hold very much onto our past, and not just to our uh, to our distant past, not just to Rabbi Akiva and to Abaya and Rava, but who holds on to um, onto the previous generation and previous generations, and tries very much to keep that alive inside of what we do as a guide for what we do. It's it's an interesting way to live your life. It's an important way to live your life, but it's also an incredible thing to use that in your um, in your chinuch, in your educational philosophy and, and policies and the way that you approach um, your talmidim and use it in a way to, to try to lift them and to raise them up by keeping them connected to the past. And, uh, and you had an incredible connection to the past. You had I mean, an incredible ability to have to have I always tell over um, when I give shurim I hit a certain subject I, I invariably end up in the same place I talk about my brother-in-law with the green car <laughs> and uh, you know you, you remember that, the, that, green that, Ford. the green Ford the green Ford a, a jalopy would be an insult to the word jalopy I mean it was it was a <laughs> it was really a jalopy but I remember you the, 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 your relationship with that car was is that car was not a car that car was a mitzvah mobile, the original mitzvah mobile. Mm-hmm. There was no menorah taped to the top of it or anything, but that car was there to do chasadim. 
and was there to be able to transport Gedolim and to be able to, the, the amount of things that happened inside of that car, the, 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 the information that was, that was gotten was incredible. And, uh, and you use that in your life to be able to then bring that into the next generation. And I think that, that that's something that we'd love to, to hear about, of how that, how that comes together and, and how that inspires Talmidim. Right. So first of all, I appreciate so much my brother-in-law giving me a hesper while I'm alive. <laughs> I didn't add anything. I have more. Yeah, but I'll wait. Okay. <laughs> but um, so first, of all, I think I have to, you know, somehow personalize it because I think it'll help to put it into context of you know how I was able to develop the relationship. And you mentioned the green, you know, the green escort, the green Ford escort. And no question that in my book I write that having a car in the going back a hundred years ago, the mid 1970s, for those of you who weren't born then, you'll have to put that into context. You know, I've been around a while and a while. And in my day, in the mere yeshiva, I was studying in the Kolo at that point, I already was married. No one had cars. And I had the Hashkocha Pratius that we had to buy a car. We were Olim Chadashim. We lived outside of Yerushalayim. At that point, we lived in Kirat Telstone. And there were very few younger light living outside of Yerushalayim, and we, we had an opportunity to buy a car in the Chadash, and there was a Ford Escort, which was then um, created in Israel. It was came from Brit from 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 the Brits, and they had a and you got it. And it was it was cheap, and it was a Ford, and it was affordable, <laughs> and we had to get a car. But that car ended up being such a boon because I ended up becoming. Uh, it became a conduit for me to be able to be a driver for so many, so many gedolim, including Chaim Shmulevitz, including Rav Yashiv, including Rav Shlomo Zalman. And, and just recently I said over a story, what maybe I'll mention it, as we go on about Rav David Salvation, just passed away, where I got a flat tire. That's like a great story. But um, it really gave me an opportunity to meet such great gedolim. But we'll have to backtrack a little bit before him because, you know, my personal... Life, uh, through the schus of my parents and everything else, uh, I grew up as a yeshiva brat, the way I describe it, similar to an army brat. I grew up on a yeshiva, B-R-A-T, um, you know, in a yeshiva environment because my late father, who was the first God who I truly knew, my father, uh, he was a Talmud from the first Talmud from Revudaman, that's all, a uh, good friend of your late father. They both learned in Ner Yisrael. And uh, Rav, Rav Ruderman was a gadol at the time. Not, we'd, I didn't even realize it. I was a young kid. But I grew up in that environment of the yeshiva lane. I would run around like a little kid, play ball, and I would be in the house. I would make noise. I would get cookies. I would get milk from the Rebetzin. And I would have a relationship, a very, very natural relationship with a leading gadol without even realizing I was having a relationship with a, re- a leading gadol. And uh, and this leading gadol, you know, taught me lessons, which you know I shared with my talmidim over the years. As a young child, I learned lessons, and when I got older, I definitely appreciated a lot more who the Rashiva was. And uh, and subsequently, again, hashkocha pratis. You know, I was I was sent to learn at a fairly young age in the yeshiva of Staten Island. At that point, it was just a fledgling yeshiva. And the Rashiva Rebruven Feinstein Baruchim Tovim Baruchim Tovim Maruchim, my Rabbi Muvuk, his father 
Rav Moshe was the Rosh Hashiva, and he came every week. And eventually I got an opportunity to get to know him personally, and I ended up being a driver for him as well. Driving was always a great way to get to meet Gedolim. And we just saw that, we, we saw greatness. We just saw greatness in a very, very natural way. And it wasn't greatness like a put-on greatness. It wasn't because they wore a frack or a Hamburg. It was because they truly, truly were sensitive, great, compassionate human beings. And you saw that in every single aspect of their lives, you know what I mean? The way they cared for the Yachid and they cared for the Tzibur. And if you want to ask me what's the common that I'm doing all the Gedolim I got to met, it was the sense of Achrayus, greatness in Torah knowledge, and the ability to be able to see the big picture, the world picture, and at the same time, how every single individual Every single individual was, was, was important. Um, so, you know, the book has a lot of the stories. So, you know, it's hard for me to know where, where to pick what to pick. But if you want to ask a question, yeah, the, go for it. The question is, and then maybe it's two parts, but where, mm-hmm. uh, how did you now take translate that to a young, the picture was a young American struggling teenager. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I did justice to, to mm-hmm. what a Bachar was, but yeah, right. a young str- struggling American teenager coming to Israel and now you're attaching them to this world, to this thought processes world, where things that you grew up almost on the laps of these gedolim, but these your talmidim, your students did not. So did you ever? Was there ever a clash? That's an interesting way of of sending it. Was there ever a time where there are times, even even as b'nai Torah ourselves, it's hard to understand sometimes what the gedolim and the direction they take. But there's a certain understanding that we we do. We understand. We try to make it right. and these maybe these students didn't have. So was there ever a time where there was a psak that yeshiva needed to do, or there was a psak for a certain talmud where it was a clash? You couldn't understand it. And how did you navigate that? How did you bring them to your beauty, your understanding, all of your love for the gedolim? How right. did you teach that? Right. So first of all, there were instances of clashes. Okay, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I do want to speak about the, you know, the bigger picture, which was, you know, what what I got to see and what most of the Talmudim got to see through the avenue of my relationship with Gedolim was that the Gedolim really understood what was going on in the world in a very, very real way. And they were able to relate, which I saw, you know, I saw how Rav Shach was able to relate to a young boy with long hair who came from an environment where, you know, Torah learning was not the Torah learning that Rav Shach was, was involved in. And Rav Shach would be completely, completely for that person. And be completely, completely for, And he would, he would speak to him with compassion and he would care about him. And we have one of the stories I read in the book, which is I once came with a, a Talmud who had a dilemma about staying in Eretz Yisrael and the fa- his father wanted him to start going to university and uh, the question is, you know, should he listen to his father? It's a Shulchan Aruch question, it comes to Talmud Torah, and, you know, who do you follow? And Rav Shach said, and we, got, we, went, to Rav, we went to Bnei Brak, to Rav Shach, and that day when we got there, Rav Shach wasn't feeling well. So we weren't able to get in. And he had to have an answer by the following morning, because his father was planning on him coming back, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. And the only thing he did was, I just told the the Gabbai, I said, you know, this was the question, and I'm sorry that the Rashiva is not well, but you know, 
Whatever it will be, it will be. I tell the Hashkoch Pratis, okay, this boy's not going to get an answer. I won't get the answer. I won't know what to do. And, uh, and the story that took place was the following morning at, at 7 o'clock in the morning, the phone rang in the dormitory, and the dormitory counselor answered the phone. Luckily, the dormitory counselor knew Yiddish, and uh, he hears the voice of an elderly man saying, Dore Shach. This is Shach. So the guy, you know, oh, the right. dormitory counselor was like, you know, you know, like, you know, okay, who's playing a joke over here? And, and it was a place of Shach. The Gabbai had told him that this is a question. He got the number. He called. They got the bacher on the phone. Rif Shach, who has the whole world on his head, but was concerned about a young boy. And he gave him the Psach Halacha. He told me he should go back. He told me he should go back, but he should try to go to Ner Yisrael. You know what I mean? Try to be in an environment where you could have college and yeshiva. And uh, he got the book on the phone and he gave him an answer. So that, it shows. That's, that's incredible. That's, that's insane. Insane. incredible, Misa. That's an incredible Misa. Well, from, from there, mm-hmm. like, what do you have to teach the Bachar? There's nothing, there's, nothing, there's nothing left to teach. Rav taught him everything. Rav taught him everything. And the boy saw the emes of the Torah, the compassion of the Torah. And I think that that's the expression that I tried to give over to the Talmudim, that the Gedolim, they're really as attuned and more attuned to what's happening in the world. Another story which I write about in the book was another Talmud in the yeshiva, who that was a question. He had a full scholarship to a very good university. He didn't come from a family where he could afford to go to four years of college. The only thing is, he would not be in a Torah environment at all. It would be completely, completely in a secular environment. And in those days, it wasn't as popular to come back for a Shana Bet. It wasn't a given. Now it's like an easy thing. Everyone comes back for a Shana Aleph, Shana Gimel. In those days, you know, you got Shana Aleph, you were happy. If you got a few boys to come back for Shana Bet, it was a Shana Bet. And over here, you know, most Rebbeim felt that this boy could do very well by coming for a Shana Bet. On the other hand, a dilemma, because here was a, a livelihood, didn't come from a family that could afford it, he had a full scholarship, he was a very, very bright boy, and I took him to Rip Shlomo Zalman Arbach, and I remember the conversation until today, how Rip Shlomo Zalman addressed the, the issue, and I explained to him the Shaila, it's a boy, he's going to be in an environment, not going to be any religious environment there, and it's you know secular, and it's college, university, and Rip Shlomo Zalman said to me, Rev Lif, I want to hear from the Bachor. I said, the Bachor doesn't speak Hebrew so well. He says, And he wanted to hear from the boy. And he heard the boy try to express himself in his broken Hebrew and somewhat English. I ended up translating a little bit. And then Rav Shlomo said like amazing words. He said that there's a halach in Shulchan Aruch. Halach in Shulchan Aruch is, right after you finish davening, you're supposed to go to work. Because we paskin like the Shita which holds that you have to have a parnasa. That's the first thing. The Shulchan Aruch says you have to have a parnasa. But there's a concept of people that dedicate themselves to learning. And that means you learn and you go to kolo. And then he explained to the boy, he says, you know what kolo means? He said, well, I don't know what kolo means. I'm trying to find out what, you, what yeshiva is all about. He said, I'll tell you what kolo means, that you don't necessarily have the ability to buy the top produce in the shuk. You have to go with a little bag and you have to get the produce that's underneath second class, second class produce. And you have to live, you know, a very, very simple life. And then someone says, are you ready to dedicate yourself to turn in such a way? So the boy says, I don't know. He says, you're not mechayif to. 
And the Shulchan Aruch says you should get a Parnassah. And then Ibsalam Azalman said, this boy should go to university and should get a degree to get a life because he needs to get a livelihood. I said, what's going to be with the environment? So he made up certain conditions. We worked out that it was close to Boston. It was like a half hour, 45 minutes away from Boston. He says, every Shabbos, he should not spend Shabbos university. He should go to the Boston Rebbe. He said, if you want, I'll call the Boston Rebbe to make sure. And that way, during the week, he's there, but on Shabbos, he has an environment. And that's what happened. The boy went to university, and he, did, he ended up only staying one year in university. He said even for him, it was too hard. And he ended up going every Shabbos to Boston. And then he was able to get a scholarship in Yeshiva University, ended up being in an environment which was conducive for him, able to get a degree, get a parnasa. So the Gedolim, they have the ability to see the big picture, because that's how great they are. I'll just digress for a second, just because we, I told you I was going to tell you a vart on Shabbos that I just saw, you know, this week's parsha was parsha's. Not too bad we didn't have the record. I'm just kidding. We, did, <laughs> we weren't recording on Shabbos. Everything was just being stored away for the pod. So right. remember, we try right. to have one pod is, a but day. It's called around the Shabbos table, so I guess it's still like Shabbos. So just, you know, interesting remember, insight. remember, Shabbos was not desecrated to make this video. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, the menorah, we all know, represent the Ur of Torah. And uh, it, everything was centered. Everything was centered towards the center. The sheish kanim shalosh on this side, shalosh on this were facing towards the middle. So I just saw an interesting, interesting insight that the arms of the menorah, the outer ones, had longer arms. The inner ones were very, very short. So in the same fashion the ones that are closer to the middle, to the emtsai, they get the fuller warmth of what the menorahs fuse with, the aura of the Torah. And the ones on the outside, which are further away, even though they're larger, sometimes they might feel, oh, I know better about really what's going on. But it's the ones that are close to the emtsai is that gadol, that gadol. The gadol, when you're close, you might not have your own but you're close, the, the warmth and the light of the Torah is emanating. And I think that's a great, great lesson. Gedolim are Gedolim, not because they chose to be Gedolim. It's because Klyasil sees how great these people are, and they, they follow them. We follow after them. And you have to have a discerning eye to know who to follow afterwards. And sometimes there have been charlatans. I'm not saying there haven't been. But on the whole, Klyasil has got a good, a good sense of smell. They really know what to do. And um, and then there are times that are conflicts. I'm not going to deny there are conflicts. You know, we had a particular case of a certain Shiloh that we took a, a, a bacher to one of the leading gedolim in the world, Rav Yashiv. It was a question of a personal nature. And this this Talmud had a very hard time accepting the psakalacha of, of Rav Yashiv. But Rav Yashiv spent a half hour with him. You know, Rav Yashiv spent a half hour, like amazing, and, That's like a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and subsequently, this bacher ended up going to America, and he said, the only person who's speaking to America is Rabbi David Feinstein. The whole listen to Rabbi David Feinstein. And Rabbi David Feinstein said the exact same thing as Rabbi Yashif. And the bacher at the time could not handle the psakalach of both Rabbi Yashif and Rabbi David. But you know what? That particular bacher eventually followed through, and today he's an outstanding Balabas and, a, and an educator and helping so many, so many people. I'm very, very proud of him. And there's no question in my mind, because in the end of the day, 
the message of the Gedolim entered into his heart and he knew that they were telling him the right thing. That's amazing. It's also it's also amazing to see. Um, you see, you saw, you were also in the middle of this where you saw humans on both ends. That, that was a very human story that the Bachar couldn't accept it. And even after saying he would accept from that, he couldn't accept it. Human, he's struggling. It's okay. And you also saw that from the Gedolim. The Gedolim were, were people and they were humans. And I think that's what, like when you see that and you can teach that to your Talmudim, that's sort of what I'm what I'm understanding, what I'm seeing and, and what I know from you, that that's, you can give that over as well, that they're, they're humans just like you. They struggle. And that's, uh, that's fascinating. Did you ever get into a car crash? That's my question, when you drove the Gudala. Um No, but I did have a flat tire. Yeah. I had a flat tire. And this story I say over, it's a great, great it's a story. Great story. Yeah, it's really, you know, David Salvechik, Zeich the son of the Briskim, have just passed away. And, um, and I was Zochit to drive him many, many years ago in my car, my green escort. And... Um, I'll just shorten the story as best as I can. But basically, we drove back from B'nai Brak, from Levaya, and it was a great opportunity to be able to sit with, you know, this great Talmud Chacham, and really from the Moisri HaTayra. And um, everyone knows that brisk, you know, you think about brisk, you think about you know, a few things. You think about, oh, they learned Kachim. They're medactic and Halacha, L'Chumra. They're Kanoyim, Right? And um, and they're great teachers of Torah, but you know you kind of like lose the real picture of who they who, who they truly are. And I I got to see a firsthand picture. So you know the many many stories are coming out now about how Reb Dovid's Ben Odom Chareir was really really amazing. But I got to see it firsthand because I'm driving back from Levaya. This major Rosh Hashiva, major Tamil Chacham. And we were talking, I don't think we were talking and learning so much because I was driving. I even th- I think I said to him, you know, or he said to me, you know, you shouldn't be, when you're driving, you have to be concentrated on driving. And, but I think I asked him some stories. I might have asked him a Shaila. And then all of a sudden you hear that, that, that thunk of the, of the tire. And you know, that's the worst feeling. You're driving a Rashiva and you get a flat tire. And if I Very have, relaxed Rashiva also. <laughs> yeah, very relaxed <laughs> Like the pachat of the briskarov of years. And, I pull over to the side, and I was younger then. I got out. I popped the trunk. I'm going to go and fix the tire. And I start you thinking... You were younger, and there was no... There was no one to be able to call at that time. And I'm about to you know, start pulling the jack out and untying the bolts. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice. Ich can help, and ich can help, and I can help. It darf help, it darf help, you need help. Reb David is calling to me. I said, no, 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 no. All of a sudden, the door opens. Reb David comes out, and he insists to, to tell me, I can help you, I can help you. Now, I didn't know if he knew how to help or not know that, but I knew I wasn't going to ask him for help. But it wasn't just that, that like insistence on doing that. He stood there the whole time. He didn't just go back into the car. He's the Rosh Hashiva. No, a younger man is helping him, is driving him, and he's having it. It's 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 azev tazev ima in the fullest sense of the word, and it's not just the kiyum the halacha, it's the midas. He stood, he kept on saying, "I can help you, I can help you." You sure you don't need help? And to me, that just was a lesson, a lesson of a lifetime. That's a amazing. Lesson of a lifetime. It's also that life is life is here. Life is now. Life is here. And life I here. there's a there's a there's a tire. Who's going to fix it? You're right. going to fix it. We're going to fix it. Right. Where is that? We'll get it done. It's amazing. 
I, I hate to be like, you know, dominating over here. I'm waiting for everyone to ask questions, but I'm just going to, because I have the story, so we might as well try to get as much as we can. But there's a story that's not in my book, but I always say it over. I have this Talmud of mine who's today, you know, he has he has outgrown me. And when I say me, Talmudiyosimakulam, he's one of those Talmudim, his name is Rabbi Yomin Kirshner. He's really today very, very close to Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky. He goes there weekly, and he's written Svarim. And he was closer to Yashiv. That started in his days when he came from there, Yaakov. And, um, and he's really taken the lead in like really just, he's a kid from, you know, from Queens, New York. And when he came to Ner Yaakov, didn't necessarily have uh, a yeshiva, full yeshiva background. And today he's a very chashvi yungaman, living in Yerushalayim. And um, there's a picture that he took which is prominently displayed in our house, and it's on top of our leichter, and the rabbits and my wife, Tata Diane, um, has it fully displayed in front of her leichter, and it's the last picture taken of Rebetzin Basheva Kanievsky, the daughter of Yashiv, the wife of Yibodol Chaim Tavmeruch and Reb Chaim, and it was taken two weeks before she passed away. And it's a beautiful, magnificent picture. And I've used it when I've spoken in seminaries. I take this picture off the wall and I take it and I show it because I want to show the human side of the gedolim. And you see this beatific smile of the two of them. She's standing on it. She, he's sitting. And Reb has an unbelievable smile. If you ever meet Reb warmth is unbelievable. And the Rebetzin Kanievsky's warmth is unbelievable. And they're just both smiling. Now, when did this picture take place? It took place like this. At that point, Rebbein Yaman, he, never met, he, never, he had not been to Rebbein But there's another great Yid in Yerushalayim, his name is Rebbein Walken, Shlita, who I know very, very well, and he is the Mashkiach of a prestigious Israeli yeshiva at Teres Yisrael. He's American. He was born in Shanghai. A great Talmud Chacham. And he knows Binyamin. And he said to him, he called Binyamin, he said, Binyamin, I know you have a car. Uh, I'm going. I want to go to Bnei Brak. Would you mind? You, you mind driving me? I'm going to go to Reb Chaim. Drive me to Reb Chaim. So he said, "Great opportunity to go to Reb Chaim." Now he thought to himself, "What am I going to do by Reb Chaim?" Reb, at that point, Reb Yashiv was alive, and Binyamin used to dive by him every morning. So Binyamin has a little camera, Toshu camera, and he takes videos. So he figured, you know what? He'll take a video of Reb El Yashiv saying to Hillam after davening. When he would uh, unravel his talis and tilim, he was be saying tilim, and he'll show it to Rebetzin Kanievsky. Rebetzin Kanievsky will see her father. So that's what he did. They drove to Bnei Brak. Rebchaim Walking went into Yubal to Rebchaim Kanievsky, and he went to the Rebetzin in the kitchen, and he said, "You know what? I have pictures of your father of the Rav saying tilim." So she starts looking at it, and she got so excited and animated, and she said. We have to show this to Reb Chaim. You have to show it to Reb Chaim. He says, I'm not going to show it to Reb Chaim. He says, no, come. She goes barging in and stops the beating. <laughs> and she says, Chaimke, Chaimke, come cook the Tata Zoktilim. So Reb Chaim stops everything and he starts looking at this video of Reb Yashif saying to him. And, and he's watching it intensely because first of all, it's his father-in-law. At that point, Rav Yashiv was already unwell. He was older. He wasn't at his last stage, but still wasn't well. And, and they both were looking. And this is not the end of the story. So first of all, just seeing a, a, a son-in-law and a daughter looking at the father-in-law who's a great, great godel. Prime is a, a learning machine. But you know what? V'hoyu e'necha roises merecha. 
to see his father and to give also covet to his wife. And, and she's enjoying it. You know, she's enjoying seeing her father and her pie is enjoying it. It's not the end of the story. So Binyamin is doing what he does. He's taking pictures. So that's the picture that he took of Reb Chaim and the Rebetzin watching the video. They didn't pose specifically for it, but he took it. Now he figured out a great thing. The next morning, he went to Reb Yashu's grandson and he says, I have pictures of Reb and Reb Chaim. <laughs> it's like YouTube, the reaction, the to, reaction, the reaction, reaction. to the reaction videos. <laughs> not bad, not bad. So what happens? Rival Yashiv, who was a bigger learning machine than Yabal Chaim Tov, stops, and for two minutes, he's looking at the video. And his grandson says to him, Zayde, cook, Batsheva Shmeichold, Batsheva smiling. So Rival Yashiv quipped, Un Chaim Shmeichold Eichet, Chaim is smiling too. <laughs> Now, this is not the end of the, the end of the story. Is that Rebetzin Batsheva passed away two weeks later, and everyone went to Yimnacham Oval, including myself. Binyamin also went to Bnei Brak, and he blew up the picture, and he went to Reb Chaim's grandson, and he says, "I have a picture of the Rebetzin." That was the last picture, and they sent everybody out, and Reb Chaim was able to look at the picture of his wife, the Reverend Kanievsky, the last picture of the two of them smiling. And that picture is hanging in their house. I think that that picture paints, is worth a thousand words of the normalcy. These people, they had humor, they had lives. For sure, the dedication to Torah and mitzvahs is beyond the regular. But they're dedic- they, they have jokes and they, they have a good time and they, they're, they're normal people. And I think that if you're asking me to put into like a focus of how a American boy could relate to these great gadolim from Europe, they themselves have the ability to really give over what the Masora of the Torah is. And everyone is attracted to that. And at the end of the day, I'm attracted to the real deal. I don't want to go for the fake news. I want to go for the real deal. And they see the real deal. They, they see the warmth. They see the humanity. They see the normalcy. And they see greatness at the same time. Wow. What a tremendous day. Okay. So uh, I guess we'll just, we'll end with the last uh, so question. It's not, but uh, we obviously know that you're very proud of every single Talmud. We know that. And we're very proud of your Talmudan when somebody says we're from, from near Jake. I mean, even, not even, but I, I get excited and I feel like they're part of the family. Like they've eaten the cookies. They've been by the, you know, they've been by the Shabbos table. We have something in common. And, and, uh, and it, it also, they're a certain type of Jew. They're a certain type of person. If they can say that that's been in their, um, in their past, what's something that makes you so, gives you nachas and gives you joy when you see your Talmudan, be them, you know, ranging from many different professions and many different walks of life even today. But what, what, what brings the nachas and what makes you so proud of them? Just recently, I had a story that one of my Talmudim called me from America and said, Rabbi, I want to give you some nachas. I want to give you some nachas. It's a Talmud I'm close with. I said, he's probably going to give nachas about his family and this and that. He has a wonderful family and everything. I said, no, I want to give you nachas about another Ner Yaakov Talmud. Okay? This particular Ner Yaakov Talmud, who I had been in touch recently, we've been touched a while, but we touched recently, and he's in the entertainment business. Now, if you know anything about the entertainment business, today, 
it's like kind of like on death's row, so to speak. But he uh, recently went to the Super Bowl because every year he went to the Super Bowl. He's a Orthodox Jew who's involved in the sports entertainment industry. And every year he goes to the Super Bowl. And I spoke to him recently and I said to him, you know, what's this year going to be like? He says, it's going to be like every other year. When it comes the weekend, everyone knows in the industry that that's the party time. And everyone knows that my particular Shabbos and Shabbos, I keep Shabbos and I'm not part of that whole thing, which is a tremendous, it's not just like tremendous, like mysterious nefers, just a statement that this is who I am. I'm a Shabbos Shabbos. So I knew that from him. But this friend of mine was involved with this other Talmud. This, this friend of his was with, with, had asked him about a certain project. And they had discussed about maybe getting a certain professional football player to be on a promo for some sort of Kirov organization or something like that, that nature. And since this person is in touch with all the sports people, so they thought he could you know, be good. So he said to him, listen, I think I'll tell you like this. Anyone that's involved in sports today, it's inside the game, all they're focused on is, is the game. All they're focused on is the life, the way they see it. Sometimes later on, when they leave the sports industry, they start, you know, developing a different... But while they're involved in, he says, it won't come across as a true message for Kirov organization. You know what I mean? Because it just, it's just, you know, you might want to... You think you can get it. It's not really going to happen. So this Talmud said to me, this, the one that was trying to, to, to get this football player on, he said, you know, that's really a tremendous thing you're telling me. So the guy said, I went to near Jake. I know the right Ashkafa. I know what it's all about. I know the Emmas, okay? That's really what it's all about. So in the end of the day, to me, that like is a little snapshot of a picture. Any aspect of anyone that I had a relationship and that the yeshiva and the rabbeim and our families had a relationship and got a connection to the truth is really my greatest nachas. Amen. Wow, that's a great shkayach. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for giving us that just a snippet into that into that shimush that you've had and how you were able to translate that and how it translated itself to the talmidim. And uh, thank you very much. It's thank just you. Just to have you. Awesome.